Part One, Chapter Twenty Five of Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne Spiegel. As you see, continued Nikolai Levin, frowning and speaking with effort, it was evidently hard for him to make up his mind what to do or say. But do you see? And he pointed to the corner of the room, where lay some iron bars attached to straps. Do you see that? That is the beginning of a new work which we are undertaking. The work belongs to a productive labor association. Constantine scarcely listened. He was looking at his brother's sick, consumptive face, and he grew more and more sorry for him, and he could not compel himself to listen to what his brother was saying about the labor association. He saw that the labor association was only an anchor of safety to keep him from absolute self-abasement. Nikolai went on to say, you know that capital is crushing the laborer. With us the laboring classes, the muziks, bear the whole weight of toil, and no matter how they exert themselves, they can never get above their cattle-like condition. All the profits created by their productive labor, by which they could better their lot and procure for themselves leisure, and therefore instruction, all their superfluous profits are swallowed up by the capitalists, and society is so constituted that, the harder they work, the more the proprietors and the merchants fatten at their expense, while they remain beasts of burden still. And this order of things must be changed, said he, in conclusion, and looking questioningly at his brother. Yes, of course, replied Constantine, looking at the pink spots which burned in his brother's hallowed cheeks. And now we are organizing an artel of locksmiths, where we will all be in common, work, profits, even the tools. Where will this artel be situated? asked Constantine. In the village of Vosdramo, government of Kazan. Yes, but why in a village? In the villages, it seems to me, there is plenty of work. Why associated locksmiths in a village? Because the muziks are serfs, just as much as they ever were, and you and Sergey Ivanovitch don't like it because we want to free them from this slavery, replied Nikolai, vexed by his brother's question. While he spoke, Constantine was looking about the melancholy, dirty room. He sighed, and his sigh seemed to make Nikolai still more angry. I know the aristocratic prejudices of such men as you and Sergey Ivanovitch. I know that he is spending all the strength of his mind in defense of the evils that crush us. No, but why do you speak of Sergey Ivanovitch? asked Levin, smiling. Sergey Ivanovitch, this is why cried Nikolai, at the mention of Sergey Ivanovitch. This is why. Yet, what is the good? Tell me this. What did you come here for? You despise all this. Very good. Go away, for God's sake, he cried, rising from his chair. Go away. Go away. I don't despise anything, said Constantine gently. I only refrain from discussing. At this moment Marya Nikolaevna came in. Nikolai looked up at her angrily, but she quickly stepped up to him and whispered a few words in his ear. "'I am not well. I become easily irritable,' he explained, growing calmer and breathing with difficulty. "'And you just spoke to me about Sergey Ivanovitch and his article. It is so rubbishy, so idle, so full of air. How can a man who knows nothing about justice write about it? Have you read his article?' said he, turning to Krisky and then, going to the table, he brushed off the half-rolled cigarettes so as to clear away a little space. 
I have not read it, replied Krisky, gloomily, evidently not wishing to take part in the conversation. Why? cried Nikolai, irritably, still addressing Krisky. Because I don't consider it necessary to waste my time on it. That is, excuse me, how do you know that it would be a waste of time? For many people this article is inaccessible, because it is above them. But I find it different. I see the thoughts through and through, and know wherein it is weak. No one replied. Krisky slowly arose and took his hat. Won't you take some lunch? Well, good-bye. Come to-morrow with the locksmith. Krisky had hardly left the room when Nikolai smiled and winked. He is to be pitied, but I see. Just at that instant Krisky, calling at the door, interrupted him. What do you want? he asked, joining him in the corridor. Left alone with Maria Nikolaevna, Levin said to her, "'Have you been long with my brother?' "'This is the second year. His health has become very feeble. He drinks a great deal,' she said. "'What do you mean?' "'He drinks vodka, and it is bad for him.' "'Does he drink too much?' "'Yes,' said she, timidly looking toward the door where Nikolai Levin was just entering. "'What were you talking about?' he demanded with a scowl and looking from one to the other with angry eyes. "'Tell me.' "'Oh, nothing,' replied Constantine, in confusion. "'You don't want to answer? All right. Don't. But you have no business to be talking with her. She is a girl. You a gentleman,' he shouted, craning out his neck. "'I see that you have understood everything, and judged everything, and you look with grief on the errors of my ways.' He went on speaking, raising his voice. "'Nikolai Dmitrich. "'Nikolai Dmitrich,' whispered Maria Nikolaevna, coming close to him. "'Well, very good. Very good. Supper, then? Ah, here it is,' he said, seeing a servant entering with a platter. "'Here, put it here,' he said crossly. Then, taking the vodka, he poured himself out a glass and drank it eagerly. "'Will you have a drink?' he asked his brother, immediately growing lively. "'Well, no more about Sergei Ivanuitch. I am very glad to see you.' No matter what people say, we are no longer strangers. Come now, drink. Tell me what you are doing, he said, greedily munching a piece of bread and pouring out a second glass. How are you living? I live alone in the country, as I always have, and busy myself with farming, replied Constantine, looking with terror at the eagerness with which his brother ate and drank, and trying to hide his impressions. Why don't you get married? I have not come to that yet replied Constantine, turning red. Why so? For me, it's all over. I have wasted my life. This I have said, and always shall say, that if they had given me my share of the estate when I needed it, my whole life would have been different. Constantine hastened to change the conversation. Did you know that your Vanyushka is with me at Prokovskoya as a bookkeeper? he said. Nikolai craned out his head and wondered. Yes, tell me what is doing at Prokovskoya. Is the house just the same, and the birch-trees, and our study-room? Is Philip, the gardener, still alive? How I remember the summer-house and the divan. Just look here. Don't let anything in the house be changed, but hurry up and get married, and begin to live as you used to. Then I will come to visit you, if your wife will be kind. Then come back with me now, said Constantine. How well we should get on together." I would come if I knew I should not meet Sergey Ivanuitch. You will not meet him. I live absolutely independent of him. Yes, 
but whatever you say, you must choose between him and me, said Nikolai, looking timorously in his brother's eyes. This timidity touched Constantine. If you want to hear my whole confession as to this matter, I will tell you that I take sides neither with you nor with him in your quarrel. You are both in the wrong, but in your case the wrong is external, while in his the wrong is inward. Ha, ha! Do you understand it? Do you understand it? cried Nikolai, with an expression of joy. But if you would like to know, personally I value your friendship higher, because— Why? Why? Constantine could not say that it was because Nikolai was wretched and needed his friendship, but Nikolai understood that was the very thing he meant, and frowning darkly, he betook himself to the vodka. Enough, Nikolai Dmitrich, cried Maria Nikolaevna, laying her great pudgy hand on the decanter. Let me alone. Don't bother me, or I'll strike you, he cried. Maria Nikolaevna smiled with her gentle and good-natured smile, which pacified Nikolai, and she took the vodka. There. Do you think she does not understand things? said Nikolai. She understands this thing better than all you. Isn't there something about her good and gentle? Haven't you ever been to Moscow before? said Constantine, in order to say something to her. There, now. Don't say view, you, to her. It frightens her. No one said view to her except the justice of the peace, when they had her up because she wanted to escape from the house of ill fame where she was. My God! How senseless everything is in this world! he suddenly exclaimed. These new institutions, these justices of the peace, the Zemstro, what abominations! And he began to relate his experiences with the new institutions. Constantine listened to him, and the criticisms on the absurdity of the new institutions, which he had himself often expressed, now that he heard them from his brother's lips, seemed disagreeable to him. We shall understand it all in the next world, he said jestingly. In the next world? Ouch! I don't like your next world. I don't like it, he repeated, fixing his timid, haggard eyes on his brother's face. And yet it would seem good to go from these abominations, these entanglements, from this unnatural state of things, from myself. But I'm afraid of death, horribly afraid of death, he shuddered. There, drink something. Would you like some champagne? or would you rather go out somewhere? Let's go and see the gypsies. You know I am very fond of gypsies and Russian songs. His speech had begun to grow thick, and he hurried from one subject to another. Constantine, with Masha's aid, persuaded him to stay at home, and they put him on his bed completely drunk. Masha promised to write Constantine in case of need, and to persuade Nikolai Levin to come and live with his brother. End of chapter 25